What's good, everybody? This episode of the podcast is sponsored by DistroKid. They are the go-to for digital music distribution and the easiest way for musicians to get your music onto Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, TikTok, YouTube, and more. They offer unlimited uploads, and artists keep 100% of their earnings in stores 10 to 20 times faster than any other distributor. Fastest payouts. They help out with automatic splits, cover song clearance, and all kinds of other amazing tools and templates to help you get the most visibility for your releases. I dig this company and really appreciate their business model that offers more features than any other distributor at the most affordable price possible for solo musicians, bands, studio artists, DJs, and any other creators that are producing music in their home. And they also offer label services as well. They're distributing over a third of the world's digital music at this point. And the best part about DistroKid sponsoring the podcast is that they are offering Dan Cable Presents listeners 30% off your first year of membership, making their already affordable services even cheaper. Check out the link in the episode notes. I will also put it in my Instagram bio in the link tree. Click that link and it will give you 30% off your first year of service. Super stoked to have DistroKid sponsoring the podcast and can't thank them enough for their support of this thing. This episode of the podcast is also sponsored by Drops. Drops are an organ-based edible company and one of my go-tos when I'm heading into the dispensary. Their consistency and price point keeps them in my regular rotation of gummies. I love their 100 milligram canisters that have the little 5 milligram bites in there. They make it easy to monitor dosage and not get unexpectedly blasted. The chill ones are my favorite. They're this banging watermelon flavor and one thing that I love about these edibles is that they taste great sometimes you get some edibles that pack a punch but taste horrible and drops i have to be careful with because they taste so good that i just want to eat them like a bag of sour patch kids with drops you can choose your edibles based on how you want to feel that's possible because drops are made with live rosin a solventless full spectrum cannabis concentrate as a full spectrum concentrate rosin contains the full array of psychoactive compounds in cannabis which work together to give each strain its unique effect all of their cannabis is flash frozen and processed into that live rosin the flash freezing prevents plant material from decomposing and preserves terpenes that evaporate during the traditional drying and curing processes they come in 10 different flavors and strains to choose from including several cbd variations you can find drops at your favorite local organ dispensary just tap into the link in the episode notes to find a supplier in your area Big thanks to Drops for their support. Let's start the episode. happening everybody welcome back to another episode of the dan cable presents podcast thank you for tuning into the program once again if this is your first time listening thanks for checking out the show you can find fresh episodes coming at you every tuesday and if you want to help support this thing in a free way you can do so by clicking subscribe on itunes clicking write a review giving the podcast five stars if you feel like it is deserving of so and that will help propel this thing into the tops of those iTunes charts, which will give it more visibility 
on the national and international levels, helping strangers find the podcast and just a great way to contribute to the growth and sustainability of this thing. Appreciate the hell out of all the folks that have already taken the time to do so. If you're not listening on Apple, just hit like, follow, subscribe wherever you are listening from. Tell a friend about the podcast. Check out the monthly playlist that I've been dropping every first of the month. You can find the links for those in the episode notes. They're available on Apple and Spotify, pretty spread out genre-wise. Just kind of a snapshot of what I'm listening to throughout the month. Some things that are making it into my DJ sets, as well as some tracks coming out of Portland, Oregon. So, tap into those hope everybody is doing well out there i'm very excited and stoked for episode 350 of the podcast portland beatmaker producer skateboarder event curator northern draw is on the podcast this week very cool to have had the opportunity to finally connect with Northern Draw, a.k.a. Kip, on the mics. I feel like this one has been a long time coming. Kip and I have a lot of mutual friends, but it really hasn't been until these last few months since he's moved back to Portland from a stint of living in Germany that we've had the opportunity to hang and get to know each other. He's just an incredibly sweet dude, great beat maker, and is the founder of the Portland Beatmaker and Producer Showcase Thirsty City which is coming up on its 10-year anniversary next year. Speaking of 10 years into something, this week is my 10-year anniversary of moving to Portland, Oregon. So some extra sweet significance for this episode 350 release milestone. This last decade has been such an opportunity for growth and self-discovery. Moving somewhere new was the best thing I could have done for myself and something that I'd always wanted to do. And starting this podcast seven years and 350 episodes ago has been such a huge part of shaping where I'm at and diving deeper into the music industry. So just want to give a big thank you to everyone that has been a part of this thing and shown their support for it. I, uh, I don't get to often kind of take a step back and see where things are at, but uh, trying to do that a little bit today with the, the episode 350 marker. Producing a weekly show does not necessarily ever get easier. I mean, I think that there's uh, definitely some things that I've learned along the way to, to help with efficiency, but there's not necessarily any magic thing to, to get past the, the procrastination at times or just the, the self-doubt or a day like yesterday where I just slept like absolute shit the night before and was just having a hard time getting things together and had a long morning which turned into the afternoon and it kind of wasn't an, until the evening where I was feeling ready to to dive into the headphones and open up the the logic project but as soon as I started listening back to this thing the the switch quickly flipped and you're reminded why you're doing the thing that you love doing and uh I like couldn't stop. I didn't want to stop until I was completely done with it. So I'm excited to share this conversation with Northern Draw. We had a great time hanging that day. And when we were done with the podcast, we went and got some sandwiches over at Snappy's in Southeast. Shout out to Snappy's. Free plug for them because their sandwiches are are quite good and they have a cool little corner store 
vibe going on in there. But just enjoyed getting to uh, spend some time with Kip and listening back to the conversation. Just really, uh, really enjoyed some of the things that he had to share. This dude has... uh, he has done a lot with his life thus far, and Kip is just one of those dudes to me that is just so proficient and good at so many different things. And I think we covered a lot in this conversation from beat making to the Thirsty City platform, skateboarding, graffiti, making records, and more. So if you dig what you hear, check out his music and please go check out the Thirsty City events. They currently have a monthly over at the Goodfoot in Southeast Portland. Tap into the Thirsty City Instagram to keep up with what is going on with them. And you can also catch Northern Draw on KBOO, local Portland radio, every Sunday night from 10 p.m. to midnight. All the links for Northern Draw and Thirsty City will be in the episode notes. Appreciate you all tuning in, hanging with me for episode 350. This is Kip and I jacked up on Nitro Brew Coffees chatting on the mics for episode 350. We're going to kick things off with a Northern Draw track called Future Cowboy, which is off the Northern Draw SP303 Beats record. It's available on all the streaming services. Let's do the damn thing. stoked to get on the mics with you man i um i know where i want to start and that's pretty much like just i would love for you to kind of like hit me to like what your exposure and like background in the portland music scene is specifically Mm. like i want to jump into a lot of different stuff but i remember meeting you like after a who's the ross event i feel like yeah. that i guessed it on wow cool so i remember that shout out to who's the ross yeah aaron ross <laughs> uh, i remember meeting you that night and that was kind of like the first i had really heard of of thirsty city i don't think i was like really connecting heavy with anybody mm-hmm. like in the beat making producer scene yet mm-hmm. like right. to that point and then um you know like meant to 
try to link up with you and then you bailed to germany for like a few years yeah and then i was at this a beat happening event over mm-hmm. summer or like toward the end of summer i guess maybe like you were september you, you would have helped them book that yeah venue, right yeah okay. yeah and i just uh like you showed up kind of like unexpectedly to a lot of people I, I right off a lot the of, plane yeah a lot Straight of people Europe, didn't I just know that up. you were back yet yeah. And Straight there was the like rumblings show. in the crowd. Like, oh, Kip, <laughs> Kip's here. I heard Kip's here. Oh my God. That's, and it, was, it was like that's super local, local celebrity status there. Like, well, it thanks, was, thanks uh, a lot. Well, I mean, shout out to be happening. I really, um, I really support them and appreciate Jonas. And I guess now it's, it's, uh, Lee Tillman or free Tillman and also Derek Simbla who st- helped start that for providing a space for all ages beat uh, you know, concert or whatever. Cause growing up here, there really wasn't a scene for a lot of all ages. I don't think there still is that much of a scene for all ages. You got friends and noise that throw right. stuff and support stuff like that. But, um, they were also like a really nice extension of, for me, uh, when I was like doing the thirsty city thing, uh, to find like upcoming artists or, you know, a lot of times I'd kind of cherry pick artists that just turned 21. Cause unfortunately you can't play at a bar unless you're 21, right. which is dumb because they're serving drinks or whatever. But, you know, when people like had the opportunity or, or the, were of the age, I'd be like, oh, we should play a show. And maybe there were a couple of times I'm pretty sure that I gave people like their first paid gigs and they're like freaking out. Like I can make beats and get paid for it. Yeah, like, man. So that means the most to me. That's what it's all about, you know? Yeah. It's cool when you get to be like in those opportunities to give people, you know, right. those first chances. And like I've heard a lot um, like out of the a beat happening scene as well of just like, you know, Jonas kind of giving people their first opportunities ever to perform in front of people. And it's like important to have that space as well. And, uh, yeah, both of those, like, you know, the thirsty city and the beat happening Mm -hmm. community, like there's obviously some overlap there and it just seems like a very supportive group of people, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, let's rewind a little bit. I guess I'll just talk about the little label night thing. The thirsty city night was basically, I don't even know when that's 2004. 14 was the first one I did it. And you're Portland born and raised, dude. Oh yeah. We can step back even further. Portland born and raised come from a family of, you know, semi music, never trained or anything like that, like officially, but a lot of guitar players. My grandfather was a Portland guitar player, country singer. My dad's always played guitars. My brother who passed away was really into guitars and he, uh, he was in like a hardcore band here, really into the punk scene. And, um, yeah. So I'm Portland native generations, both side, which I guess is rare nowadays, but, um, yeah. So, you know, I coming from that guitar background, I always kind of want to do something different because Portland's such an indie rock scene, you know, and very like, I don't know, white centric or something. I don't know. Maybe I just kind of wanted to go a different way. So I really got into hip hop and electronic music, turntablism and kind of production, um, growing up. And, uh, I actually grew up with like a lot of interesting, like musician types. I, uh, my homie Devin Hu, who's actually kind of a lot bigger now. Uh, he was my good friend in high school. And like, I remember him getting the first, like, uh, you know, whatever reason copy or something and making beats on it and freaking out. Um, Did you ever like even pick up a guitar when it was around in the house? Like, yeah, yeah, was I can, that yeah, I can play, interest? I can play a little bit of guitar. I can play okay. some, some chords and stuff. I can mess around and pluck some strings, but. Um, Hit a little different though, when you found like, like something like in the hip hop once that Wu-Tang like hit you know <laughs> once, I, once I heard that Wu-Tang there's no going back you know first albums Wu-Tang and Nevermind Nirvana it's like pick your poison <laughs> so it was always pretty wide like as far as the stuff you were listening to yeah it's actually funny I don't know if you know Ashley Montague he's a muralist in town I got a tattoo from him a couple of days ago he just transitioned into uh, tattooing 
and we're chatting about that because he's a DJ as well and he DJs a lot of he plays Swift a lot in a lot of dope places he's been around forever and he's asked me about my musical background and like how I'm grateful for my parents how you know they didn't bring some generic shit to me. They, they're like playing blues and a lot mm. of folk and like, of course there's like the classic rock, but it wasn't like journey or Boston or something. Yeah. They're playing like Beatles and like the stones and stuff like that. And like there was depth to it. Like I was, my, my dad loves like old blues, like Delta blues stuff. So like I was bumping that a lot and going to blue shows. So, I mean, for me, I'm kind of like, eh, whatever. I mean, I, I still like blues, but I think about it sometimes. At least my parents didn't just like bump ACDC all day or something. Nothing against ACDC, but you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, you were, you were hearing some shit that was maybe a little further out of the box or just like stuff that, like you said, had a little more depth to it or like maybe we're hearing like the deep cuts that weren't just being played played on the radio. For sure. I mean, it's all an extension too, like jazz and blues and hip hop, you know, they kind of, and even like rock and roll, like, uh, you know, Nirvana, some of the like favorite guitar players were, were like, I don't know who it was, uh, Blind Lemon Jefferson or something like that. That's not right, but it's something like that. <laughs> I'm forgetting. There's like a quote that the Kurt Cobain said that like one of his, uh, one of his favorite guitar players is some Delta blues guy. And also, uh, who's the drummer for Nirvana? Grohl? Yeah. He like played in Scream and shit. He straight up came out and claimed that he just jacked all disco drums for all of his stuff. Yeah. <laughs> if you like listen to the fills and the starts, they sound just like disco songs. Yeah. It's like super funny. <laughs> it all uh it all finds its place together for sure. Yeah. Um so what like what was your like real entry point into making music yourself yeah i think that's the interesting thing i had a couple of friends that were into like uh reason make uh, reasons like uh a music making like platform online right like a application or whatever you want to call it is that like a relevant thing these days yeah i think so. i think reason's still around i think still people people use reason but um yeah some of my close friends like pirated some copies of that and like i was really into hip-hop so i was doing like rap stuff um early on and and then like got into beats a lot more and uh just kind of stuck with that. And I really was influenced by hip hop in general and like all the elements and always wanted to practice like the graffiti, the break in, you know, uh, the DJing, the rapping, the production, kind of all parts of it. And I think I still do that. Um, and plus some, but, uh, yeah. So I don't know. I guess I was fortunate just to be around some like musical crews and people going and ciphering at parties and stuff growing up, a lot of rap stuff. Um, and that just kind of evolved, you know, and I just kept on making connections and stuff like that. Yeah, is there uh like as far as the the graffiti end of things? Like were you like just always a pretty creative kid growing up like as far as like having an interest in in visual or, art as well? Yeah, so my dad was a graphic designer in Portland for like 20 years growing up. Okay. Through like the from the 70s till about the 90s and then once like he's kind of a luddite, doesn't know how to use a computer or anything like that. Doesn't have a cell phone, doesn't have an email still. So once like the computer graphic stuff started coming in, he kind of got phased out a little bit, but, um, yeah, there's still stuff of his design around the city. Like, uh, he did like the hippo hardware, the hippo and also the letters on the side of that building. And then every now and then you'll see like a truck drive around that he designed back in the eighties or something with like a, a logo or something. Um, but yeah, I think that being around that always was like an inspiration for art, for visual art. So I'd probably get it from him. Yeah. You always see, see it like as kind of like a complete package as far as the the art like when you like found a record would you be just as interested in like the cover art and things like that yeah that's crazy you say that because i've been digging for records for so long 
that now, like when I think of songs or music, I don't think of like the names of it all. I think of the, the cover of, of the album because I'm just like was flipping through it and I know like where the songs yeah. are on the album. I'm like, or even if I don't know the name of the artist or the the title of the album, I'm like, oh, that cover or that track or <laughs> whatever that has the break in it or yeah. whatever, you know? Because I still do vinyl. I still play a lot of vinyl and sample from vinyl and stuff like that. Really big vinyl head. Yeah. So well, like, what was your like first experiences of like really like playing out in front of people and getting to like show people the the beats you were making or like having the opportunities to mm-hmm. like DJ in the city yeah I mean we're not gonna talk about the first experiences because I was toying garbage you know <laughs> but that'd probably be the funniest I think the first show I did was like at a, a roller skating ring in Hillsboro with Hell my yeah, crew dude. And I think I got my homie Devin, Devin who just to go out and play drums and we all just freestyled to this crowd and like, <laughs> it ended up being like a battle and we got kicked off or something. It was so bad. I, I was maybe like 16 or something, you know, <laughs> but you know, Hey, y'all got to start somewhere. So yeah, absolutely. Um, but beat wise, you know, so see, let me try to like jog my memory, but so, uh, yeah, I did. So earlier when I was like in my late teens, early twenties, I lived in Spain for a while and did a lot of skateboarding over there. I lived in Barcelona, mainly just to kind of skate for a while and get away from the States. And when I came back, I knew I wanted to kind of get into the music scene some more because it was such a big passion of mine that was kind of missing living over there. I didn't have that community. And uh, the crew that was kind of popping at the time when I came back was Dropping Gems, who were doing a lot of shows in that kind of more electronic beat-ish future beat scene that was kind of emerging and popular at that time. So I kind of clicked up with them and um, there were some other kind of crews around that were making kind of avant-garde, weirdy kind of beats, you know? Um, so yeah, I kind of just hung out with these different, uh, one of which was uh, my homie John Simon goes by Montgomery Word. He was running a label called You of Now. And uh, yeah, I don't know. There was kind of an interesting beat making scene just starting then. So I just kind of got into it around that time. I'd already been making beats with reason for like many years, even like while I was traveling and living abroad. And, um, I think around that time I kind of switched over to Ableton and that was at the start of the Ableton hype. I think I kind of got into Ableton before the hype and never liked the sound of it. I still don't like the sound of Ableton unless you like put a lot of stuff on the, the master to really give it the oomph. Things like logic and reason, I still think have a better output sound for some reason. Yeah. And was there, uh, much of you, like, was there much of a scene yet for actually playing beats live? Like, I feel like now, you know, Word, with yeah. Thirsty City, with a beat happening yeah. and like some other things going on there, there are, you know, a decent amount of opportunities, right. I feel like, to right. actually like be in the live atmosphere and mm-hmm. see see how your shit translates. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, like growing up in Portland, the hip hop scene was like really small and there was only kind of one style of hip hop that was really promoted a lot here. There wasn't like a lot of weirder hip hop. I mean, there was, but it wasn't really like a lot of shows of that kind of stuff. Um, and I, like I said, like I think dropping gems was like the one crew when I came back that really was doing this one thing and flying in people having kind of like a scene or throwing shows, Aaron Miola, um, shout out to Aaron. He was, he was the manager of them. And, um, yeah. And there was kind of some other stuff kind of bubbling, uh, uh around then, but, what was really popular at the time was the low end theory in LA, right? Okay. Yeah. It's a weekly event that was happening all the time. And then I knew that Seattle had a night called stop biting that was doing this weekly at the lo-fi gallery, a little bar. Um, then they switched it eventually to, uh, a monthly, but the stop biting, uh, was really dope because they'd have a front room with like rappers and producers and they had a back room 
with DJs for breakdancers. And they still do it, which is dope. And then I always really appreciated Seattle and Stop Binding because a lot of people come out and they show you support and of all these different kind of backgrounds. It's kind of different from Portland in the sense that Portland, like the breakers hang out with the breakers, the poppers hang out with the poppers, you know, <laughs> but then it, you go up to Seattle and like all these kids are hanging out, the rappers who come out, check out the weirdo producers and the graffiti writers and stuff yeah. like that. So, um, that was kind of like my impetus to start the thirsty city night. And I had started to do some shows at this bar on Alberta called the no, which was a punk venue. Um, I think they asked me to DJ for some hip hop shows that were kind of thrown to them. And I reached out to the booker, Dave Rose, and I'm like, hey, can I start a monthly beat night? And uh, they're like, yeah, let's do it. So, Yeah. Was that uh, like when you started throwing those monthly beat nights, was there a lot of people that were actually, you know, like performing their beats rather than just like hitting play on a track, showing people mm-hmm. what they have made? Like, was it like a, a mix of those two things? Right. And was your interest always to like, do something that felt a little more engaging right right well um like uh taking a step back then like i feel like when i wanted to have extension i wanted to provide a platform for people that came and toured in this kind of realm because i mean i was really into beats i knew it was small and i wanted to provide something for performers because there's so many people i knew that made music and i wanted to do it off of the stop biting night so i always had it on a monday or wednesday their night was last tuesday so it provide for like a little tour in the northwest okay. and it's kind of like not to say I was trying to copy the low end theory, but definitely to kind of like that kind of vibe or community, right? You know, as for performers, like I said, I kind of wanted to bridge the rappers in the hip hop scene with the beat scene because they seem so polarized here, like I saw in Seattle. And no matter how many shows I tried to throw with rappers in them and the, with the beat scene, it would never <laughs> mesh. I'm like, yo, you need beats to rap. Why can't you kick it with these kids? You know, like um, now I think there's, there is like even more like multiple genre mashups and stuff like that, which is cool. But so we're, we're talking like 2015 ish. Right. And um, uh, yeah, you know, some people like to answer your question, some people definitely would come up and push play, which is you know, totally fine. I mean, that's acceptable nowadays. Right. But yeah. it makes me kind of irk cause I'm old. I'm like, I want you to do something, you know, like play. Well, it's something. like, I don't want to see, I usually don't want to see a rapper sing over the, like rap over their tracks either. Right. Like, I, like I, you can't be ad libbing. You gotta be doing something, <laughs> man. You gotta, you can't be ad libbing over your own tracks in my opinion, but <laughs> who am I to say, you know, it's all performance. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, you know, we didn't just have like beat performers. We also had people that came up and like rapped or yeah. sing, or they'd have a band with them. We have dr- live drummers and stuff like that. I was just talking about Durazo. Like Durazo was super dope because one, he hated Portland because he could never get a hip hop show here. <laughs> Living out his van touring, like the hardest working musician I've ever met. And then he found out about my night and he's like, oh shit, this guy can give me some some dough and give me some beer and always yeah. have a performance for me. And he would play two NPCs live and it was just the illest shit to me. And I was like so dope you know it's like this is it what you see is what you get yeah i feel like maybe it only takes one person like that to kind of like for for others to see that happening live and then kind of wanting to you know also create something more engaging you know than maybe just hitting play on a track or something yeah like i don't i don't think you uh even for somebody that does not make beats or producing you like i don't think you know, you, you walk away from seeing someone like, you know, Meltzer, like put on a set 
and then you want to like the next time it's your opportunity to play in front of people. You don't want to just like hit play on a right. track. There's a, there's no uh, well, there's no coming back from that. No one no one can compare to Meltzer though. <laughs> uh, you can't compare him to anyone. Like I was literally just like talking to my homie Young Sums in here who shares the studio with me. I'm like, man, making making beats with Meltzer is so fun because he's just like laughing and just having fun. He's like. Yo, making beats is so tight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. You know, that's that energy you want to be around, you know? Yeah. Mel's is special, you know? Super and, special. He, and he's just like, I don't know. He, talented. He's talented and humble yeah. and just like fun to be around, yeah. like you're saying. Takes the crown. But he's also like so hyped on the people around him, you know, the people that are like yeah, just like getting their feet under them, it feels like, and like so willing to like share Mm-hmm. whatever knowledge she has in that realm and that that kind of seems like mm-hmm. embodies the spirit of like what you've kind of like created with thirsty city oh cool thanks you know yeah i, I was talking to him recently maybe to compare the, the night with, with my intentions and like what he was saying how he has one foot in the jazz world a lot because he also plays upright he plays bass too right and how like he's like as much as i try i can't get the jazz people to go to the beat nights or the beat people <laughs> yeah. to go to the jazz nights we were like, also having that conversation like, but recently. you know all the all the hip hop people are always sampling the beat people are always sampling right. all the the jazz you know you would think there would be all that crossover there for yeah. sure or at least like yeah a general appreciation for I for mean, each of those things kmhd they play beats and stuff they yeah. play like rap and stuff like that so was that uh you know what you're talking about as far as trying to bridge a gap between maybe the rappers and the beat makers and the producers or whatever early on was that like pretty important to you to like the funky microwave record that you put out and like featuring some portland rappers on it yeah so i mean it's kind of interesting looking back because i just came back from living in munich for three years right in germany and i've always had a tie to this city actually the name thirsty city came from my friend leo lex when i was in munich I was over there emailing Dave Rose, the booker. I'm like, oh, I got this night now, the monthly night, which I call it. And he had said something while in Munich because they drink a lot of beer. They drink a fucking lot of beer over in Germany. (laughs) They drink beer for breakfast. That's like a traditional Bavarian (laughs) breakfast is a big fat glass of beer. And I was like, man, you guys drink a lot of beer. He's like, yes, it's a very thirsty city. And I'm like, that's tight. I'm going to use that. (laughs) Hell yeah. (laughs) Um, And I guess they drink a lot of beer here too in Portland, but... Um, I think also there's like, you know, someone brought up soon afterwards that you're like, you know, thirsty has a different connotation. I'm like, yeah, I like it. Let's roll with it. Cause you know, people are hungry out here, you know, they're trying to get on. Um, so yeah, so actually it's funny. I did that. And then the funky microwave tape was on boom clack, which was a label, my friend's label out of Munich. And they asked me to, to put out a tape and, uh, yeah, it's kind of that. I kind of had the idea of, I wanted to have a lot of features on it and, uh, if people didn't know, I sampled a lot of funk records and a microwave is a term for like a minute long, two minute long beat. So that's why it's called the funky microwave. I listened to that record like front to back this morning and like nice. enjoyed it like quite a bit. Like I feel like it, it holds up pretty well. Like what, yeah, what are your thoughts? Like being, I don't know, you're, you're seven, eight years removed from, you know, making that music. Uh, well, I made the album upstairs in the studio, which was a better studio than we're in now, which is funny. And I'm still here. Um, also AKA the broccoli tape. Cause it was broccoli on the cover. <laughs> um, I think it's an all right tape. You know, like I said, it's, 
those microwaves, I wish it was mixed differently. A lot of the samples, I was doing a technique at the time where I would, I'm like I said, I'm a big record head and I would take records that I don't want and throw in samples off those records onto a cassette and then just pitch the record, like sell it or whatever. Yeah. So it kind of has this weird mid-range kind of warbliness to it because it was all just sampled off the tape. Mainly. I like that Poppin' City track. Uh, I think I rap on that? Is that the one I rap on? Do you rap on that one? That's the one I rap on. Yeah, I didn't know. I couldn't tell if that was like a sample, like a vocal sample, or or what what it was. Oh, that's the one I hate because I rap on it. <laughs> oh, I don't think I think it, I think it's solid. All right, yeah. <laughs> I do some shout outs. Yeah. Um. Anyway, uh, selfless promo. I actually did. So living over in Germany last three years and during pandemic, I made my rap opus album. Okay. With my homie Leo Lex, who gave me the name Thirsty City. And it's basically featuring him and I made all the beats. I do some scratches and the same thing. I do a lot of features. We really want to have this like international kind of sound. Um, it's all done. It's just getting mixed and mastered right now. Maybe we can showcase one here. Yeah, edit. <laughs> um, it's, yeah, it's really cool because it's it's like half in German, half in English. And there's a lot of American rappers. There's some British rappers on it. There's some Spanish. Yeah, so I do some raps in it too. Catch me in the streets, but KMHD. All power to my peace, keeping it unique. Illusions map in front of our cataracts to distract the facts. Can you see past the thrills and laughs? Living on a daydream, nothing's what it seems. Young seeds and kings, all birds don't sing. Some things might melt your wings on gleaming screens. Fling them down to wax and etch them into tracks. Skips and cracks, compact the slacks. Scratch a needle back and keep the vibe intact. Stay relaxed when you map your next lap. Your past is an artifact that impacts the universal stack. I daydream at night, trying to see past the light that blinds the insight. What's right, what's wrong? So that's something you're like keeping up on. Yeah, still, that's, that's still working that craft. Yeah, it's my next upcoming thing. We're finishing it up and getting production done right now. So. Have you always enjoyed like riding in some capacity? I think I have. I think I've just kind of struggled with a lot of confidence of it. Like I used to, I still, I'm still a good freestyler. I think you know I'll like because I hate going to parties and stuff and seeing people whack at freestyling. Sometimes I'll grab the mic and like, yo, what are you doing? You know. Our mutual friend. Uh, <clears throat> Dusty Fox mm-hmm. is uh, someone I feel like that that heavily exposed me to freestyling and like in the live forum and I've just like watched that dude just make people look very dumb <laughs> following him Dusty at is, times. Dusty is a very good MC. <laughs> He's a super good MC. Like I'm just like, dude, you can't you can't invite this person to jump up and freestyle with you. They weren't they yeah. weren't ready for it, and you're always ready for it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, Dusty is a great MC. Actually, talking about Dusty and Meltzer, we went due to a small tour in Germany last May. They they was, uh, was speak very highly of that time, of just yeah. being like the best time of their lives playing super, music yeah. in some regards. They both killed it. They, yeah, they were both super professional. And uh, I think Meltzer definitely grew a lot from that too. Like coming back to the States and just seeing the level he's at now is fucking crazy. So. Yeah. You think that was like pretty helpful to you kind of having the opportunity to do a lot of freestyling early on before you like maybe got into like rapping on a record or actually doing writtens. Yeah. I guess I do have raps on physical vinyl now, which is interesting. There's one on my friend, uh, D2 German rapper with Alana Shea did my first rap a couple years ago. Yeah. I don't know. I think it was just an introduction. It was just really fun for me. Like I was saying in my teens, we like my homie Devin used to make these, these like beat tapes of his like on cassette 
and we used to like roll around and bump those in freestyle to them and we'd like have these cds and go to like house parties and yeah. literally just like start the cypher session in this parties in like the west side of portland and shit it would be super <laughs> funny we'd roll up like to the hills or whatever and, and just like create a little cypher session in the corner and people were like what are these kids doing over here <laughs> and i don't know i think it was just like fun fun for me because i'm going to a party and i'm like low let's go get loose let's vibe you know and then other random people would kind of come in and we'd all just kind of bounce off each other and exchange that energy and you know I don't know. I, f I feel like I should probably step into rapping more, but also kind of there's enough rappers in the world. You know, if, if there's the time to shine and people want it and that's good. I know I, I have some bars, but I'm not like, that's not my focus really. I want to be like multi-talented and like, yeah. like, you know, I can't compare to Dusty. I think Dusty's a way better rapper because he's focused on rapping, you know? Right. That's, that's kind yeah. of like his craft for right. sure. And I think I kind of came to some point where I was just like, cool, I want to DJ and make beats and stuff like that and just took a step back from it. Yeah. And then I think since then I've had a hard time to kind of be like, no, nah, it's okay. You can rap every now and then i guess i'm really insecure about it but yeah as far as producing tracks if you know someone is going to you know do some sort of vocal over something you're producing mm -hmm. like do you feel like that approach is different than you knowing that it's it's purely going to be an instrumental track yeah definitely 100 percent uh i mean yeah for this last album i'm putting out it's called crow breath b-r-e-f like breath and you know, you're in a different country, in a different city, and there's different popularity of sound. And like coming off that one, like I was speaking about before, that one kind of era of Portland weirdo beats and like the dropping gyms and the you are now stuff is like way out there stuff. If I listen to it now, I'm like, this is crap. I mean, whatever, I probably have some all right songs, but, um, but working with Leo and uh, like during the pandemic, I made like hundreds and hundreds of loops. And, uh, I guess I'll just give out my like technique as a, a tip for people, whoever's listening as a beat maker, I'll make like, if I'm, I haven't made that many beats this year. Um, but like when I'm in production mode, I'll have a bunch of samples and I'll make like a sketch. I'll make like the, the loop and the sketch in Ableton and just bounce it, bounce the audio and just have a file of just all my like 30 second sketches or whatever. And then I kind of shop them out to rappers, you know? So working with Leo, they, what's really popular in Germany at the time, was like a lot of boom bappy kind of like classic beat stuff, you know, which, uh, you know, I wanted to cater to that, but also make it with my own flair. So I had to go through like hundreds of beats and showing him all these little 30 second sketches. I'm like, do you like this? Do you like this? Until he's like, I like that one, that one, that one. And I would flesh him out to a track. And then a lot of times I'll have people record vocals and then edit the beat around the vocals. It depends, but yeah. Were you just like exposed to like international travel from a pretty young age like what was your your big pull towards like spending some time in other countries you just had yeah. like this stint where you're in germany for a few years yeah. and you you touched on like spending some time in barcelona yeah yeah i mean i, I lived in barcelona just because i wanted to skateboard because it's the mecca of skateboarding and i had the opportunity and um i forget what happened uh so I'm not, I'm not even going to get into it. I made a connection with my homie, Tom 2K. He came over to Portland somehow. It's just a longer story and it's really hilarious, but we just stayed in contact and he's like, next time I come back, I want to hang out with you and bring my friend who raps, who was going to school, Leo Lex in Minneapolis at the time. No, no. Where was he? Wisconsin. And, uh, so then he came and visited, I think in 2009 or something. And then he asked me to be a feature on his album. So I did a couple raps for a couple songs and we stayed in contact. So, yeah. 
just building that community and just kind of like meeting people. You never know where music's going to take you, which is really dope. I've had like a lot of amazing experiences and just been in crazy places. And I'm like, just cause I make some beats that, you know, only a couple people listen to, <laughs> whatever. but I don't know. It's like music's an interesting thing, you know, like I think music is so beautiful and it's very ephemeral and it's here and it's gone and it gives you these experiences. They're also here and gone, but very profound. And then, you know, when it comes to like physical monetary things, it's very fleeting, but nothing can replace these like connections I've made. And also this, these, these experiences. Yeah. I think that's the fun part of, you know, being in different places doing it is like, you just don't really know those connections you're going to make. Yeah. And like you're saying, like it can just, I don't know, an insignificant day on the road can turn into something like a, a relationship that, you know, lasts several years and can like just lead to right. so many different things. I'll, I'll, I'll share a story like that. A woman reached out to me last week and she's like, oh, I don't know if you remember me, but you played a show in 2014 in Vienna and you crashed in like on this patio of my house or whatever for like a weekend. And I was like, oh yeah, I totally remember hanging out with y'all like in Vienna. Like, it was dope. She's like, well, I, I did this song in Swedish. Can you re- like make a beat over the Swedish vocals I did? I was like, a hundred percent. That sounds dope. <laughs> you know, just so random. That was like, you know, almost 10 years ago. So, That's amazing. Yeah. You notice like a pretty big difference in the culture around music, like being in Germany in comparison to a place like Portland, Oregon. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I feel like also just being in a different country, living over there, you realize one cool thing about it is you realize how much capitalism kind of affects you. I don't want to be like that, but like just living in a different society, not to say Germany isn't capitalistic, but they just have a different structure and like things are closed on Sunday and they have all these religious holidays in Bavaria. And I'm like, why can't I buy things whenever I want? <laughs> What's wrong with you? I need to buy shit. I'm American. Oh man. But yeah, I definitely caught myself in like, you know, different tendencies, there, stereotypes and, and stuff like that. But one of the things that's different is definitely like how receptive people are to music and you know, anywhere you go, if you're in LA or New York, they're going to receive it differently than, than Portland. And um, yeah. even in Germany, like Berlin has such a huge scene. It's such a big, DJ scene and there's such a big techno scene in, in Germany and Munich is like it's the most densely populated city but it's a lot smaller it's about the third biggest city in Germany um, but a lot of people live there but they have a smaller scene when it comes to hip-hop and just like uh, creatives because everyone usually gets siphoned off to Berlin or maybe like I don't know Frankfurt or Cologne or something but mainly Berlin Cause it's just, just like here in LA, once you get to a certain like plateau of creativity, most people just move to LA cause that's where they can right. make it. Right. Right. So it kind of prevents people from, from like really blossoming, uh, blossoming here. Um, but I think I was really lucky because the, uh, the status quo of Munich is very like straight and there's a lot of people there all about their money and like rich people and H and M looking motherfuckers. No disrespect, um, <laughs> but, uh, but like, I got really lucky cause my, my crew are all like underground creative types, anarchist rappers, you know, throwing techno raves under the bridge off like the generator type people, you know, it's like the contrary to that, that status quo scene. Yeah. Yeah. Did it seem like there was more of like a built in crowd for everything there? Like if, you know, there was a music thing happening, people would just show up no matter if they knew the artists or not kind of thing. Yeah. I think it depends on who you roll with. And I, I was rolling with a pretty steady crew, um, ATP, which I think they just changed their name to fast forward or something like that. It's fast forward 22. I don't know what they changed it to like literally last week, but 
yeah, like you're saying, I feel like people are a lot more receptive in, in Europe, in Germany in particular, compared to here. Because if you like flip it, if, you know, some German rapper beat maker threw a show, I don't know how many people would really go out and be like, well, this is cool. This is different. Maybe here in Portland, I think people would, you know, yeah. but also it depends on who the support is. So For sure. Uh, let's talk about this other constant in your life, which seems to be skateboarding. Oh, let's go. And I would imagine that this is also like, as far as bridging gaps, this has got to be like a, a spot where you've really like connected to different people yeah. from, from all over and, and not just like in the skating scene, but I would imagine mm. there's a lot of overlap in the graffiti and uh, the music scene there. So were you, was skateboarding something you, uh, were doing from a pretty young age? Yes. I, I must, I've been skating for over 20 years now. Uh, maybe 23 or four or something like that. I cannot skate Kip, but okay. I always wanted to be you could start. a skateboarder and I love watching skate videos. I think that's just like been such a key in yeah. discovering music even, but I was always afraid to get hurt skateboarding yeah. because I was playing like travel ice hockey growing up and I knew that my parents would like kill me if I yo but Dan when you get me on the ice I'm walking everywhere <laughs> I'm, I'm sh I went to I went to Lloyd Center recently and I skated for the first time as an adult and I, I didn't fall but I was like almost grabbing onto people and stuff it was embarrassing you <laughs> that's know that's so funny because I gotta imagine like a part of skateboarding right is like shaking the fear of getting hurt yeah were you able to do that pretty early on with ice skating? No, just like with, with, oh, with skateboarding. skateboarding. It's inevitable, you know, it's inevitable. I don't know. Maybe you kind of like be, have some kind of pain tolerance or you learn how to fall better, but you get hurt no matter what, you know? And I always like to think of it. You have to please the skating gods, you know, they need pain to survive. So, <laughs> you know, you gotta, you gotta give some blood if you want to have fun. So I don't know. Yeah. But I don't know. I, I, I feel very spiritually as a lot of people probably do about skateboarding because it's such an enigma and such a strange cultural phenomena to me. And actually, I just got done writing my master's about skateboarding in Germany. Oh, that's amazing. So, yeah, it was super dope. And, um, yeah, I mean, I feel like skateboarders are interesting in the fact that I think it's in a good era of skateboarding now where it's very inclusive, like a lot of things. And there's a lot of growth of different, like, queer skateboarding, you know, supporting uh, women skateboarding in different styles and, like, supporting different ability, not so much, uh, homogenized. Like you have to be this good and jump off a fucking building to be good. You know, there's like a lot more creative aspects too, even though there is that kind of mega monster sponsored, go grind down a 30 stair handrail stuff. There's also a lot of people that are like, let's get creative and push it and also return to old tricks and make them new, you know, return to old shapes of skateboards and, you know, different, uh, mannerisms and stuff like that. But yeah, I don't know. Skateboarding has always been like a cool thread of creativity and, and exposure to music. I think when I was young, my brother Ty, who played guitar, he was really into skateboarding and had a, a lull of it in the in the 90s when it wasn't that popular. So it was a lot smaller of a crowd. But that's how I got exposed to like skate videos and stuff like 411 and all this stuff like that. And through that, you'd hear these different songs and rap music and, and stuff. So that's, I think was one of my big, uh, introductions to like underground rap and underground hip hop. Is there something like to the solitude of skating in some way too, of just like some self discovery there because you have like, like it's such a discipline. Right. It feels like to, to fuck this trick up over and over and over yeah. and then finally fucking like nail it. Comedians and cars getting coffee. Seinfeld. He does one with Chris Rock and they're randomly like, Seinfeld's like, 
you know what? I respect the skate. I'm just totally messing this up. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. He's like, I respect the skateboarders because they fall over over and over again and they get it. I respect that, you know. Yeah, he's like, absolutely. He's like, they're gonna do all right. <laughs> Tell you one of the great um, activities is skateboarding. Mm. To learn to do a skateboard trick. How many times do you got to get something wrong until you get it right? And you keep falling and you hurt yourself. And you hurt yourself and you learn to do that trick, now you got a life lesson. Whenever I see those skateboard kids, I think those kids will be all right. Yes. That's why I think skateboarding is great is because it's a completely individualistic thing while simultaneously like a community sport. Wherever I go and I see someone with a skateboard, we are like a skate team. We're a skate army. We know like the same things. I'm looking at their shoes to see which way that they skate. They skate regular, they skate goofy, you know, what's going on. There's etiquette to like the skate park, yeah. I would imagine. Yeah. You know, I, I rolled by a guy, I skated onto the studio and there was a guy waiting for the streetcar and I see him at Burnside all the time. Never talked to him, but we yeah. both did the head nod. We're like, <laughs> I see you. I see you. I see you. I know you. I know. You. I know you from around. I hear that noise. I know it. I'm like scanning it like a dog, like looking for another dog. I'm like, where are they? Where are they skating? What's going on? What spot are they hitting? I don't know. I think that's actually another way. I, I wrote about this in my paper a little bit too. And I think well, one thing. I think uh, graffiti and skateboarding are very similar in the sense that uh, I'm not even going to get into my like thesis argument, but uh, what am I? I'm, that you know, like you, you have a different interpretation of 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 architecture and and your layout. Because whenever I go through a city anywhere I go, I'm, I'm thinking of the layout. Like, oh, can you paint on that? Can you skate that? Right? Mm. Which normal people aren't gonna be thinking that. And yeah. I'll, I'll be caught like looking at a handrail or something. And they're like, this guy is fucking crazy, dude. Why is he standing in front of this handrail? Like looking at it. And I'm like, oh, but you could you could frontside board slide it, right? <laughs> they're like, what? <laughs> Do you feel like it? Uh, like. Does skating tap into like a very similar creative space for you as like graffiti or making music or do they feel very different? Yeah. I mean, I think there's kind of that spiritual aspect in all of it and that maybe some kind of nirvana sense that I'm trying to reach or I don't know. I shouldn't say that. I'm trying to say that like I feel in tune with myself and exploring my creativity in like natural sense when I, with all those things, but uh, specifically with skateboarding, because it's kind of like you're saying a self-discipline and kind of pushing your own limits. And like, there's a lot of psychology that goes in skateboarding of overcoming your own fears. And, you know, cause you're like, I'm about to fucking jump down this giant thing right here and yeah, I'm going to do it. And you're That's like, what I'm saying. I, I you got to fucking shake that fear of getting hurt, right? Yeah, there's this one, there's a spot I skated Burnside before I came over here today. And there's this one little drop in thing that gets me every time in my head, but I've done it before over and over again. I'm like, just, just, just do it. Cause you know, nothing's going to happen, but you look at it. I'm like, Oh my God, it's so scary. <laughs> I dropped into a, um, a big bowl one time in my life. And, uh, I woke up at the bottom of that bill, that, that bowl with a, a concussion. It was a, the van skate park in, in like Brea, California. Wow. And, uh, that was, that was quite the, uh, introduction to, to dropping in. <laughs> well, Hey, Tony Hawk, <laughs> early Tony Hawk, same thing. I think he had to get like life flighted out of a bowl or something. And then he's, he knew he's like, I'm going to do this rest of my life. I love this. That, uh, HBO doc that they did on, on Tony Hawk was pretty great. I didn't see it, but, uh, I gotta say it's funny how Tony Hawk is like the face of skateboarding to the outside world. You know, anyone that doesn't know anything about skateboarding, yeah. they're like, like Tony Hawk. Right? For sure. Yeah. I mean, the the fucking game just like yeah. blew it open. Was that pretty wild to like, I don't know, be familiar with Burnside Skate Park and oh, yeah. like People have still that reference it. pop off? And I don't know if it was the first one. I think the first one had a libretto song. Who was a, it was a homie of mine. He's actually really good friends with my brother. And I think he's still getting royalty checks from that. So. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out libretto. Did you grow up just fucking spending a lot of time at 
at the Burnside Skate Park? Well, it was, it's different. You know, um, I'm going to age myself by t- uh, speaking about this, but there wasn't skate parks everywhere. We didn't have YouTube. There was a lot different aesthetic, meaning that if you want to learn how to do a 360 flip, you had to meet someone who knew how to do a 360 flip yeah. or you had to get the VHS that had the, the, the trick tip or something. You couldn't just look it up on, online. Um, with that being said, uh, Burnside is the first DIY skate park built in 1990. And there was kind of a political climate that allowed that to happen. And because, uh, that happened, the people that created that went off to develop two different skateboard companies that ended up building skate parks all around the world and helping change perception of skateboarders and skate parks and how it's actually a lot of big benefit to cities that can bring in income. Um, but when I was growing up, there was Burnside, which was really sketchy and you could not just go there and skate there. And I used to wake up at like seven in the morning just to go skate there. And it just smelled like piss, broken glass and fucking vomit. And it was pretty shady. Even when I was growing up, there was that. And there was like a Tualatin skate park that was really chill. And I skated there all the times with my homies. Cause I was kind of like, you know, medium ground. You weren't getting kicked out and whatever checked, but I don't know. Let me try to think. There was also a couple, there was two spots called skate church that would had these ramps. There's one on the West side and one on the East side. And the one on the East side might still be there. There was a lot bigger. We just go skate it. And the deal was they wanted you to do a service in the middle and like talk to you about God. Most time we dip out and go get high and come back and go skate. (laughs) All right. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever. So, I mean, I mean, yeah, when I was growing up, skateboarding was also kind of frowned upon still and people were outcasted. And if you skateboarded, you weren't really, considered you know that cool of a person now everyone's like oh you skate you're cool and you know it's such a big pop phenomenon yeah. i remember my um my biology t- teacher telling me in class that he never met a cool skateboarder or a smart skateboarder in his life and told me he's an asshole i got sent to the principal it's so funny dude yeah just that <clears throat> that stigma of right. like the 90s skateboarders and early 2000s and right. like like i was talking to you about like to me, like skateboarders are, I admire them so much because mm-hmm. like, it's just always kind of blown my mind about like what your uh, like ability is to do with this board that you're not attached to like, on yeah. like all levels of it. And kids are, <laughs> kids are crazy good now. They're like taking it to the next level. And that's one thing I like, you know, I compare it to music and art and other things too, is I really appreciate with the skateboard scene is that they give a little, a lot of, um, homage to the older generation old tricks and styles and they integrate that they don't like in in spots and stuff like that they're really receptive and they're really inclusive now you know there's a whole new like generation that's killing it and they're just like developing this beautiful new skate thing because when i was growing up it was very much like you know aggro white boy thing you know yeah (laughs) late 80s early 90s is like what that was who did it like southern california aggro punk skater kids or whatever (laughs) And then I think in the nineties is when like the hip hop skaters started to develop, you know? Yeah. Are you spending a lot of time at the, the Burnside skate park these days and your, your studio is just like not too yeah. far from there. And yeah. like, is that a place that you find yourself pretty often? Yeah. I actually, before I moved to Europe, I had a kind of little trifecta where I had this same studio. I had a spot off of seventh in like grand area Burnside. And I was doing a lot of stuff with Kebu. I still do stuff with Kebu on Sunday nights. If anyone wants to check it out, the movement 10 to 12, kboo.fm online links in the episode notes hell yeah uh we play all vinyl most of the time have guests it's fun um but yeah so 
I skate Burnside a lot. It's a, it's a dope spot. There's a cool community there. It's a really hard place to skate, but I think it makes you a lot better. And it's just really fun once you get into things. And I also paint there a lot and, um, kind of to bridge the graffiti and, and skateboard kind of scene. It's not a graffiti spot. And if you try to paint there, you'll get checked and you have to like recognize that Burnside is a skateboard spot because these people have fought for like decades just to have a space. So if you try to come down and just paint, they're like, what are you doing here? Like, this is for skateboarding. You know, they like the, the art and stuff like that, but you know, skateboard scene first. So you got to respect that. Yeah. And, uh, like, do you feel like all of it, like all of those things like influence the other for you? Like when you're skating are you constantly, is there always music in your ears or like, does it inform like the music you make mm -hmm. at times and kind of like vice versa or like the graffiti? Right. Well, Dan, I don't got Spotify or iTunes on my phone. You know, I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> so no music, I'm maybe in my head a little bit, but, um, yeah, I mean, I think growing up and doing the skateboarding thing also like was definitely influenced by graffiti a lot. And they're similar in the case. I was talking to my friend Jamie who kind of curates the Burnside skate park with painting about this, how similar like graffiti and skateboarding are, how you're like looking at a city and you're zoning it and you're like, oh, that wall would be cool. Oh, that ledge would be cool, you know? Yeah. And how there's like a, not a legality behind it, you know? The definition of graffiti and skateboarding, I think, is really just to go against the system and be illegal, not to be sanctioned in a skate park. And that's why I think skateboarding reaching the Olympics is kind of an irony because the whole like purpose of it is you can still get fined for skateboarding, not to say it's as severe as graffiti, but yeah. you know, you can get uh, trespassing noise ordinance. Uh, I don't know what else, you know, some stuff for skateboarding. That's the root of it. And now it's an Olympic sport. It's like the highest level of physical, um, you know, competition but the route is still illegal, which I think is interesting. What is, what is like practicing or like developing your skills as a graffiti artist, like look like, you know, or like how much do you feel like that scene has changed since you maybe got into it as far as it becoming like yeah. you're saying you like, even that seems like it's a little bit more of an acceptable art form or mm -hmm. people have, mm -hmm. A little more respect for it than just seeing it as people vandalizing property right. at this point well i mean everyone that's not into like that that art form they're like oh i don't i like the i like the big murals i don't like the scribbly stuff I'm like well you you have to do the scribbly stuff to get to the the dope murals i had to play the shitty show at the roller skating ring to make cool beats yeah. i guess <laughs> right right i've been making beats for so long that i can finally say now that I'm like i kind of like it you know it took me fucking 10 years or whatever <laughs> but um yeah, and I think also that graffiti in Portland when I was growing up was very, very small and the city hated graffiti. I actually had my house raided and was arrested when I was 18. And then the graffiti task force stole all my shit. Kips paid his dues, everybody. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I'm just trying to paint that the city used to have a graffiti task force and it used to be really harsh on murals. And then there was a lot of organizations and people came in to kind of change that mentality. There was something in this neighborhood called NAC. And what's the guy's name? Brown, Jay Brown, Jay Brown, who passed away years ago, he used to run this, this graffiti spot. And that was like, when I was 15 and 16, that was the first place I was going and like meeting painters and he'd throw these like hip hop jams, open canvases and like break dancers and fly in like famous painters from LA or, you know, London or something like that. The city hated him. The city hated him. I think he did a mural on the side of the wall and it got like painted over right away. 
And then, um, I'm not to say that I know all this stuff, but I know people like, uh, Portland street art Alliance and forest for the trees, forest for the trees. Definitely. These started flying in people from like out of the country to do these bigger murals up, I don't know, maybe a decade ago or so. And then once people, the government like bodies had changed and people started to see these large murals that weren't just kind of letter based graffiti, but also, you know, different images, it started to shift the mentality of like mural based art and then kind of more of an acceptance of graffiti, I think in the city. For sure. I'm so like such an outsider to like what the graffiti scene is. It's like, I know you do it. I know Fox does it, but it's like, do you kind of, uh, is like a big part of it just finding your spots and like, is there a lot of community around it, like within the city? Yeah, I, I can't stand the graffiti scene. I won't lie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no disrespect. It's like, I, I'm really, I'm like old now and just kind of chill with it and kind of vibe with some old heads every now and then, but I'm not out there like bombing on the streets and stuff yeah. like that. And like right now, Portland's bombed the fuck up. It's crazy, man. Like Portland is really destroyed right now, especially after the pandemic, going to Europe and coming back and just seeing how like lawless Portland was. Yeah. It like blew my mind. I'm like, whoa, like everything is just so bombed. Um, you know, I don't know. And I feel like a lot of graffiti heads, uh, they're, they're pretty heavy headed and very serious and dedicated people. And, you know, only hang out with certain crews and there's a lot of vetted status and like a lot of checking and stuff like that. And I was never really into that. You know, I just kind of do my own thing and just keep it chill and like make connections, maybe do like a production piece every now and then. But yeah, yeah I don't know. It's, it's a weird world. And I think I, I think because of those reasons, I kind of rather, it's like, okay, I don't want to be in this, this scene. I'd rather do the music thing or support sure. something like that, you know? Yeah. Focus on the beats, the DJing and stuff like this. How long ago did you start Thirsty City now? Like 2015? 2014. Next, next year's going to be the 10 year anniversary. 10 years. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about like how important that has been to like, maybe motivating you discipline wise or just like, yeah, just the inspiration maybe that that's had and like how important that has been to you just like continuing to like want to develop your, your own craft or just like continuing to, you know, create that community. Cause I think it's yeah. like impressive that you like started this thing. We're able to like even dip out of the city for three years mm -hmm. and created enough, like a big enough thing where other people wanted to like, make sure that it continued while you were gone. And yeah, thanks Dan. I got to give a lot of credit to the original no, that was a punk and metal venue and allowing them to have an avenue for me. And they, I mean, um, having me also like learn a lot about how to operate with a bar and throw shows and work with staff and stuff like that. And, um, yeah, I think for them, they're like, oh yeah, Portland's not like a really big hip hop scene. And we always wanted to do kind of like marginal outside the box stuff. So they wanted to be a punk metal and noise bar. And then all like their hip hop bookings and stuff like that, they'd always forward them to me and be like, yo, is this a good show? What's going on? We want to bring you in. And uh, I worked a lot with my friend Spencer Alonzo Morning Sickness, who passed away many years ago. That's an rest amazing in, name. Yeah, rest in peace. And, um, but he was a great, he was a bartender and also DJ and he was a great DJ. I miss him a lot. But, um, he was really fun to work with cause he'd always bartend my gang, my gigs. And I could like talk to him about numbers of like how much we sold, what it, what it looked like and what, like a night, 
how it operated, you know, and there was a lot of leniency with them. So I wasn't taking a lot of financial risk. So they're just like, if it was a flop, like whatever, people still came in and bought PAPS. Yeah. <laughs> so like right. they didn't care. Yeah. So I was really fortunate for that. And then they closed and I kind of hopped around different venues and just kept it going. So I definitely took it through some, some dark places where like three people came to a show or whatever, but always the whole point of it was never to have like this platform where I'm making money or being this like big scene stir thing where I'm the, you know, bringing the most attractive people and the, the hottest girls or what, I don't know. I always wanted to be a spot for creatives to meet up. And that's like what means the most for me still like the producers, the DJs and like the dancers and stuff. They can come out, kick it, network. And yeah, that's the whole point. Yeah. Grow. Why do you, I don't know. Do you, do you have any sense of like why that's been important for you to just like continue to want to participate in because like i think that's like you know when you get deep into this stuff it's uh you got to keep showing up so like why why do you feel like you keep showing up yeah i think that it was like a large part of my identity at the time and then before i moved to to europe and i was actually going to throw it in the towel like well one i did the night as a monthly to provide a space because i knew so many creative and I, i knew so many creative people but creative people are kind of hard with managing themselves. Sometimes I want to be like, okay, here, here's a platform for you to showcase your beats. You're making dope stuff. Yeah. And then eventually I was like, I should turn this into a label. Well, mainly because my friends did the boom clack label. They were also throwing the same, the same thing as a night in Munich. And I'm like, I'm going to do that too. Yeah. That's a cool idea. And the label thing, it's pretty slow, but it's still like we're putting stuff out here and there. And I was going to just kind of throw it away before I moved to Europe. Cause it was at a good spot. And then my homie Slurgeon's like, you shouldn't do it. You should keep it going because it, it means a lot to people. So I actually, when I left, I handed it off to Slurgeon, Omari Jazz, my friend Studenets, and Salt Fiend to kind of run. And it kind of boiled down to Slurgeon being the one that heralded it and like really took it the most seriously. Yeah. So being back is really actually dope because I feel like that community has grown and I don't have to run it by myself anymore. Definitely Slurgeon and my homie, um, Thodo Lane, Tony, is also like really about it and we have this like community that's working and it's a lot easier to, to work with a group so yeah it's got to be like exciting for you to see that people wanted to keep it alive yeah you know? and coming back and we slid into the good foot so we're doing it now last wednesdays at the good foot and they're stoked everyone's stoked the sound's good the venue's perfect it's old portland it's got a good sound system yeah yeah what how are you like going about kind of like curating those nights this is still like a thing of like where you want to like right. showcase the 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 up and comers along with you know the the alex Meltzers of the world yeah we're not i mean definitely we're conscious we don't want to be gatekeepers and we always like i mean for me i think you know doing stuff with the no i mean years ago i was like okay i got to a point i think actually working with a beat happening to see how like diverse their their bookings were i was like okay cool yeah at least like half of the lineup has to be um a POC and then we have to have like one woman at least on, on the bill. And even that, like having just one woman on the bill sometimes hard. I mean, maybe I'm, I sound like I'm lacking, but it's, it's, it's hard to do sometimes we're like to be conscious of diversity of a lineup and having people follow through. And we are where we don't want to like shut people out. We want to put people on all the time. So there's, there is some like up and coming, like who's making noise, who's putting out albums. We're pretty receptive. And, um, trying to put people on and also just like who's coming through town and what would work. And I think from here forward, we're trying to not just be like a beat night rap night. We're trying to include other kinds of sounds. I know that in April I convinced my friend Coco to play uh, an ambient set. Cause she's like 
always been the ambient queen in town. I'm like, you, you got to play our night. And she's like, oh, but you guys make beats. I'm like, I don't care. Come do it. You know, you get oh, yeah. the shit. So, is there a record of your own that was like monumental to your process and kind of like either for validating purposes for yourself or just like something where you feel like you really like unlock some shit that became like very influential and kind of changed or shifted the way you you thought about making music or even a a particular track Hmm. oh that's interesting that's an interesting question or like a record that you feel like you were like oh i'm under like i understand i'm i'm uh yeah i don't know i feel like i've kind of had like a continuation of style through most of my practices and it all kind of transfers over, but maybe that funky microwave kind of like set a precedent of, of style and like how I produced. And like I was saying earlier in the podcast about how I make these sketches. Um, but something that was different, I did a, on the stop biting that, that does the night in Seattle. Um, they also, uh, do a label as well. Um, and I did, I released kind of like a footwork project with them and that was just really different and weird. I felt like, and that one kind of stood out and I released that I think a couple years ago during the pandemic as a short EP. And, um, also I think it's four tracks featuring different people and it has four remixes by different people from Seattle. And I, I have a kind of a theme through a lot of my music where I have a lot of features. And I think there's something about having features or like working with people that you have a different product that comes out that's not your own or like it's, in, uh, it's just unique in its own manner that it wouldn't have come out any other way between like two different minds operating yeah. in different methods. I think I've always appreciate, appreciated that. And also just the community aspect, like I said, is kind of extension of the, of the label and like working with people. Yeah. So people bring out different things in your productions 100 percent. making i mean i made a couple tracks with Meltzer recently and they're just fire and like i would have never made a song like that you know yeah so and he brings his thing to the table i bring my thing to the table for sure so. but you're always trying to like uh when you've got a project there's usually like a, a style in mind that you're trying to build things around uh yeah it depends on like the template yeah um, like I, like I said, I did this rap album and I'm also working on another album I'm almost done with since I came back from Europe. It's a uh, all sampled from like Eastern German workout tape. And I'm like mimicking a workout tape and talking on top of it. Oh yeah. <laughs> Maybe I could put another beat here, but, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I even like did a photo shoot where I like copied the, the cover of the album. It's really funny. Oh, that's and, amazing. Um, So, so with that in mind, it's like, cool, this is what I want. I want something like this and have a general idea. You know, I really like themed tapes and uh, like uh, one of my favorites, I'll give a shout out to Meek Sneak who did the, um, what's his, what's his Robitussin tape called? He has this syrup tape. This is, everything's about like, it's not Robitussin, it's about lean, it's about coding, you know? What, what's the, what's the, the syrup called? The, uh... The codeine syrup, whatever, you know. I don't know why I'm spacing yeah. as well. <laughs> lean. He has this lean table and it's like the, the cassette looks like a fucking bottle of lean and yeah. it's like everything is the sample is like all <laughs> lean references and it's like a red cassette. I'm like, yo, it's genius, you know. I love stuff like that because, I mean, everyone's making beats. Everyone can take a, a sample and flip it, but when you have like a larger idea, I think that's even cooler or, or weave a, a larger story. You know? Yeah. Well, I would imagine too that, that like 
hits you with some creative parameters too to like dial into if you're like i'm gonna sample like this whole workout tape or whatever yeah where do you feel like you see as far as the the music side of things where do you feel like you see the the most growth in like where you started oh bro i sucked when i started i still think i suck Compared to my friends, you know, <laughs> I look at some people and they're like so good. I'm like, bro, oh, my beats are whack compared to most people. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I still am sitting on like hundreds of reason files of just garbage. But yeah, I have a technique and I, I you know, I think I have a sound. I think one of the biggest compliments I've ever got was from a couple of people is how I have like, a, they're like, yo, you have your Northern draw. You have your own unique sound. When I hear this beat, I can hear you, which is cool. Cause you know, when I listen to like a DiBiase track, I'm like, that's a DiBiase track. Right. When I listen to a Sam I am track. I'm like, that's a Sam I am track, you know? Um, that's like the biggest compliment to me, but, um, I still think my beats are whack. <laughs> uh, do you have a, uh, a go-to piece of gear or, or tool that is your, your thing for, uh, for making beats? Like where, where you feel like most of the magic happens or originates? Right. I made the rap album Crowbreath with uh, SP 404 SX portable turntable and an Ableton. That's all I need. <laughs> Some samples, little tweaks. And then mess around with it in the computer. As far as DJing, is mm -hmm. there is there a next level to that when you can throw in a track that you have personally produced? Oh yeah, yo, I, I have a so the the radio show I do the movement with with King Tim, Matt Funk, Soul Brother Number One. Shout out to Kebu. I do a segment sometimes, maybe because I'm just lazy, but it's called Ghost Ride the Crate, where I show up at Tim's house. He has the most records out of anyone I know, and he just gives me a crate, and he's like, play a 30-minute set out of this. And I try to make it just as random as possible, where you throw in the jazz, you throw in the rock song, yeah. and the hip-hop. Well, this week's show, um, I don't know when this is going to air, but whenever the week was that we recorded this, uh, he gave me a crate, and he had my my uh, first rap with the D2 in there. So I'm like, oh, oh I'm going awesome. to put that in the, in, the, in the set, you know? Hell yeah. So, Do you... Uh do you find just as much enjoyment as DJing vinyl versus doing like controller or software based mm. stuff? Or is there like no comparing to doing vinyl or do you feel like both push you different creatively? Yeah, I think moving to Europe uh, pushed my DJ abilities a lot because I was kind of forced to. I couldn't bring my like record collection and I played a lot of just strictly vinyl over here in the town. But then over there, I'm like, okay, I have to learn all these different techniques. So I learned the record box, the CDJs, the Serato, all this stuff. Um, and it depends kind of like on what kind of music you're mixing. Um, like I really actually like to play house music with Serato because you can just like play these endless mixes that are like for four hours, which sound great. And then if you had records, it'd just be so much harder. Yeah. But I do like the diversity of records and the stories behind them and putting on a certain pressing and then people freaking out like, oh, what? You had the first pressing of that? Yeah, what? for sure. So it's a, it's a different cadence and a different thing. You can't, be, you can't do the same kind of mixes with vinyl sometimes unless you're like really prepared as you can with, with the computer. But sometimes I, you know, it just depends on the, whatever the, the, the venue or the gig is. So for sure, man. Well, I'm, uh, I'm very pumped that you, you, I, I want to play it out the episode out with one of my favorite tracks that you've done. And it's the, yeah. the Blanc track, which you, nice. you have, uh, serendipitously given me this, this vinyl to take home with yeah. me today, but, uh, um, featuring, uh, Ginny Jolly and also I think Studentettes did some drums on it as well. For so sure. And, uh, yeah, man, it's it's cool to to finally get to to jump on the mics with you, you know. You too, Dan. Thanks, and I really appreciate it. Like I said, I made it. I finally on the Dan Cable <laughs> podcast. I think you know, like I I really fuck with like 
the music that you've made over the thank years you. and like what that. you've uh, created with Thirsty City. And like I said, I'm just like such a, a big skateboarding fan. So I'm oh, just yeah. like very uh, always impressed with people that can like really throw down on the skateboard. And, uh-huh. and uh, but I think the the thing that I have enjoyed learning most about you through your peers is like anytime I bring your name up is is not just like dope producer dope beat maker killer skateboarder like good visual artist but like it's it's usually led with nice fucking dude like a very nice nice person and i've had uh just like a handful of interactions with you but i've like just enjoyed the time that i've gotten to uh chop it up with you thanks man that's very honorable i appreciate that appreciate that a lot yeah, I guess it's always, it's, it's, um, nice to be important, but it's more important to be nice. Hey, <laughs> um, should I do like a plugs or something now? Or? Do you do whatever you want, right. man? I'm going to uh, put all the links in the episode notes cool. so people can keep up with you, but yeah, feel free to if shout you, what you if want. If you listen to my ass this long, I appreciate you for listening. That's amazing. <laughs> um, I'm on Instagram at Northern draw. Uh, if you're in the city of Portland or want to check out our music, we do it last Wednesdays at this moment at Goodfoot thirsty city. That Instagram handle will be in the episode notes as well. I think it's thirsty city underscore or something. And I do that with my brother, uh, surgeon and also Thoto. And, um, we're trying to build that community. I guess I do a radio show since I brought it up a couple of times called the movement on Sunday nights on KBOO.FM or if you're in Portland, 90.7, uh, Sunday, 10 to 12. We also put people on that too. We, we uh, host a lot of rappers and community. We had Aaron Ross on there before. Oh yeah. Um, shout out to Aaron Roth, <laughs> funny, funny guy, um, rappers, beat makers, poets and stuff like that. And we also play mainly vinyl. Um, what else do I want to plug? I think that's it. That's People good. might see you down there at that Burnside skate park Come from skate time with to me time at, at the park. I'm down there a lot. <laughs> so yeah. Kip, we end every episode of the podcast with the guest saying the tagline for the show, which is it's a program. So if we could get the Northern draw, it's a program. It means absolutely nothing. It's just the way that my grandfather says the news program. He always says program. Anytime he's talking about like radio shows, (laughs) he just, for some reason is of that generation of saying program. So if we could get the Northern draw, it's a program. We can properly end this thing. Well, y'all been listening to Dan Cable here, and uh, we appreciate y'all listening to this program. All right, all right. y'all that's, going? That's Northern Draw, everybody. He nailed it. Peace all the links thanks. will be in the episode notes. We're playing it out with Blanc. You can find that track on vinyl, or you can uh, find it on all of the the streaming services that Kip does not have. Uh, <laughs> Stay safe out there. <laughs> that's the Jelly Jams, and we will catch you on the flip side, toilet. Thanks for or wherever you listen it from. Cool man, we did it. We finally did it.
Hey, just want to give a big shout out to DistroKid for sponsoring this episode of the podcast and for their longtime support of this thing. Don't forget to find that discount link in the episode notes or in my Instagram bio. 30% off your first year membership with DistroKid, helping you get your music in all the places it needs to be. And big thanks to Drops for making some of my favorite edibles in the game, keeping me fine-tuned with their gummies, whether THC-heavy or CBD-heavy. Great for stress and solid sleep. Find them at your favorite local dispensary. Appreciate the support. More info on drops in the episode notes as well. Stay up. Stay tuned.